And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much bread as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now the second reading is from Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. Uh, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. (laughs) And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, he will, will he find faith on the earth? So we're looking uh, at Luke's Gospel. If you haven't been with us, we've been following uh, from Luke 9.51 with Jesus sets his mind and heart to the city of destiny, Jerusalem. We're following him on a journey. Uh, we won't get all the way to Jerusalem, but we're having little snippets on the way. So our first talk was looking at what it means to be a follower, who is disciple. Just to clarify, anyone could be a follower. All disciples have to be followers, but disciples are followers of Jesus who also learn and also learn from him and are committed to his mission. So there's a whole heap of people uh, in loose gospel who follow him along and haven't quite moved across to being disciples. It's a bit like uh, many people in our lives in church can be followers, haven't quite committed to being disciples, but a follower is at least, a disciple is a follower, but also someone who learns from Jesus and committed to his mission. Then we looked at what the nature of the cost of being a disciple would look like. And Jesus very upfront that there'll be hard, the road ahead in following him will be hard. We know the road actually goes to his death on the cross, and those who follow him have to have the willingness to take up their cross, and there's cost consequence of that. And yesterday we looked at the concept of mercy and what it means to be those who are followers who have mercy in their heart above all else. And today we're going to look at the question of prayer. Question of prayer. Um, I think the question of prayer arises because Jesus prayed and they saw him praying 
And how about we do exactly that before we do anything else? Uh, if we're going to talk about prayer, I think it's appropriate we start with prayer. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to you as our Father. Help us understand the nature of prayer, what we need to be learning as disciples who pray, as followers of Jesus, that, Father, you would stir us and encourage us to be prayers ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. They saw him praying. Uh, Luke, of all the gospel writers, speaks more about Jesus praying than anyone else. On nine separate occasions, Luke records Jesus praying five times of those nine. He goes off to solitary places to pray at very special moments where decisive action is going to be required by him. So prayer is part of what they've seen with him. Uh, and so we are told, beginning chapter 11, very straightforwardly, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. There he is again, often praying. And when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. John the Baptist said he's taught his disciples. Um, what is interesting about this, as a Jew, they would have learned prayer. There's a book in the Bible. It's a big book called Psalms. You come across the word book Psalms. Boy, there's a lot of prayers in that. So they can't say they don't know nothing about prayer. They would have gone to the synagogue and prayer is part of that. So the question is, why are they asking about prayer? Something about the nature of Jesus praying that prompts it. There's something about the way that he went about it that they wanted to know, what is this prayer you are praying? So as we start, I want to ask this question. How about we haven't done this before? I want you to all turn to each other and say to each other, who taught you to pray? Got a minute, 30 seconds, turn around. Who taught you to pray wherever you may be? Okay, that was just a very brief interlude. Uh, anyone want to offer some observations? Who taught you the people to pray? Call out anything. Parents. Mom. Parents. Mum. Dad. Youth, youth group. Youth group. School. 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 You know, straight away they've got this instinct that what's involved. But there's another level we have to be taught how to pray. I think I explained on the first night, if you were here, or second, no, second morning, first, first morning, I uh, had a bit of a Christian upbringing, a nominal Christian upbringing, but I, no one ever modelled prayer in my life. I never saw prayer. I only place I saw prayer was in church, and that was set prayers. I never had any models of people praying spontaneously about any matter and the first time I ever had to pray was at a youth group and it's one of those horrible men <laughs> don't ever do this for you youth ministry and we sat in a circle about 10 of us and you know what's coming don't you and the leader said okay we'll all pray together uh, Paul start and you finish Peter so we go around the circle so I think I've got to pray and I find something to pray for I've got it in my mind of course, who prays for that thing? And so I'm left at the end with nothing to pray for. I think I had Satan ruling from heaven. I don't know what I said. I just thought, uh, it was just words. 
And I just said, oh, and I think, oh, this is hopeless. Anyway, what was really lovely, uh, the leader at the end of it said, uh, welcome along, Tim. Tim's here, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, what was lovely, the leader said afterwards, uh, all you've got to worry about, Peter, is a pray to God, not praying to us. That was just a really straightforward, insightful little moment. You're not praying to impress us, you're praying to God. So that helped. Anyway, someone has to teach us to pray. Indeed, you can't read through the New Testament and arrive at a category called prayerless Christians. The expectation is that we all pray. And so as soon as I say that, there'll be some of you feeling immediately a little bit guilty. Because you know in your life, there really isn't as much prayer as you want. In fact, you survey most Christians, I don't pray anywhere near as much as I should. Very rarely do you have Christians saying, I'm there, I'm, I've conquered prayer. <laughs> I've done it. Prayer always feels like this thing that we've got to commit to, we haven't ever quite caught. So whatever Jesus is going to say to us about prayer, he does so because he knows what prayer is like. I find that extraordinary. Here is God the Son wrestling with prayer in his earthly life. And when I say earthly life, it was a, it was a gymnasium-like event. Remember that last night where he prayed earnestly? So he prayed so intensely, he was sweating like with drop, like drops of blood, like there was things pouring from his body. The intensity of prayer. I have never got close to that. I don't know what that's like. I prayed with intensity, but the idea that your whole body is reacting in the intensity of prayer that you're sweating with like drops of blood is extraordinary. Now, we need to know a couple other things before we really launch into this. This is not a talk about the whole topic of prayer. I can't possibly cover that I could do a whole conference and do that. This is not that talk. What we're only looking at this morning is the discipleship component of prayer. What does it mean to be a follower or a disciple of Jesus and to be a prayer? So it's not general instruction of prayer, it's prayer about being a disciple. And I want to say the Lord's Prayer is primarily a disciple's prayer. Uh, it's interesting we have it in our parliaments. Always, uh, I don't mind that, I'm not going to argue against that, but... Think of it in this terms. It's a prayer primarily aims about what it means to be a disciple in this world who's counted the cost. A disciple who's committed to the mission of Jesus to seek and save the lost. The disciple who knows the cross is worth following all the way to the end and has that dominate their hearts and minds. That's a prayer. So when the disciples ask for teaching on prayer, the first thing Jesus does is give them a prayer. Very straightforward, isn't it? You want to have an idea, what do I pray for? Well, here's a prayer, and it's straightforward. I'll read it again. You've got there in your Bibles, chapter 11. And you know it well, but listen carefully. It's always problematic when we know something so well, we almost switch off. Okay, Listen carefully. 
Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. So what are the things that are found there in that prayer? First of all, God, glorify your name. God, glorify your name. God, right every wrong. God, rule over the entire world and keep us going to the end. Okay? God, glorify your name. God, right every wrong. And God will over the entire world and keep us going as your disciples to the very end. In other words, it's a prayer for God to establish his kingdom. And it starts with God the Father. Now that's a concept that we've got to get really heart in our hearts and minds. God the Father. We have a picture of God who can be distant. God who's other out there and is indeed he's a sovereign. But we pray to him as a father with all that's involved with that. There's intimacy and personal life bound up in our relationship with God. So we say, oh, have you got a relationship with God? Really saying, do you have a relationship with God as your father? Now, early on in chapter 10, uh, Jesus said these words, 10, 21 and 22. At that time, Jesus, full of the joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. This is the Trinitarian nature of God. In knowing God the Son, we know God the Father. In knowing God the Father, we know the Son. And we are adopted into the family of God. Familiar language, but again, hear it properly. Through the action of the Son, we're adopted into God's own family. And so we praise disciples to the one who we call our Father. And it controls and shapes the whole prayer at that point. God the Father points to respect that we have to his authority and to the intimacy we have of calling him like a child calls to their dad. So he has the authority of the Father and the intimacy of relationship. And so I want to say again, the highest privilege you can have is to be adopted into this family. You can be adopted by God into his family with all the privileges and all the things that go your way. And of all the delights that God can have when you call upon him as father, is that you call upon him as your father. Asking him for things to happen. Asking for him to do things. He's your heavenly father who loves to give good gifts. And the real gift here... Is not just to see your father, but that he listens. Here is a father who finally does what all fathers should do. Listen. I was told many times. <laughs> Are you listening? And God listens. 
The true and living God of all the universe listens to your prayer. Your individual prayer. Your feeble, uncertain, hesitant, often mixed up prayers. The God who is a sovereign, universe, uh, sovereign uh, king of all the world listens. And there's no greater privilege than having a prayer to God the Father. I was watching recently, there was an elite billionaires club meeting in Sun Valley, Idaho. And all these jet set people come through and they said, what a privilege it is to be able to come and mix with all these high power people. And they talk about decisions shaping the whole world. And, and you sort of for a moment say, wow, what would it be like to be part of that elite group? I'll give you something even better. Be part of the elite group then call upon God the Father makes that all look trivial and ridiculous. Though in our TV age it looks spectacular and overwhelming, that little moment where you pray by yourself to God the Father, there's your elite moment in all the world. So where does this prayer start to God the Father? Verse 2, Father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. So in case you missed the significance of this little first prayer, it's a prayer to God about God. Did you get that? You're praying to God about God. Uh, the disciple doesn't come up to God and say, well, enough about you. Let's talk about me. You pray to God about the things of God. Now, Jesus is not saying there's not appropriate times to pray. Just help me, you know, the cry out, you know, whatever it might be. But what needs to fill the disciples' heart, I'm saying this is the disciples' prayer, is, the, is your heart must be filled with the, your mind and heart is filled with the ambitions and the horizons that belong to God himself. You're praying to God about what God is like. You're praying to God about what God is doing. You're praying to God to glorify his name. You want God's reputation, his character and honour to be exalted and esteemed everywhere. You want God to be seen to be God wherever that may be. Anyone say, well, why does God must need to do that? Well, anything less than that is not going to be God. This is the exalted high God of all the universe. And there's nothing more wonderful than he would be known for who he is. And so we want God's kingdom to powerfully advance and be completed and finished and established in all the earth. And so this is a normal pattern of the disciple to play to God the Father about the things of God. And everything else flows from that. It goes on. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Start with bread. This, I think, picks up the provision of God in the wilderness for the people of Israel. But he's saying he will give to us what we need for the journey. He give us each day what we need to keep on going. He will provide for us each step along the way. Give us each day our daily bread. 
And a reminder that when we pray these sort of prayers, sometimes you get to the end of the day so you've got nothing left. And the promise is the next day there'll be provision for the next day. You say, I don't think I can get to the end of the year. And God says, well, just worry about tomorrow. I'll give you enough for tomorrow. Then he goes to forgiveness. We can only ever come to God as forgiven people. We don't come to God as perfect people. If we came to God as perfect people, none of us would stand. God embraces contrite and penitent hearts, to use the language of the prayer book. The paralysis in prayer sometimes, I could never pray because I don't know if I should or could, is not the language of the Bible. <laughs> no matter who you are, you can pray because only as forgiven people can we come before God in prayer. Then we come to the question of temptation. We constantly need God's help to so that we don't trip up along the way. And as I go, I have all sorts of stumbling points. And God's provision is keep me going and lead us not into temptation. So these are disciples, God-centered, praying prayers. Now with the urgency that we have of life that we live and decisions we've got to make and things we've got to keep going and the past and work and family, very easy we don't ever get to these sorts of prayers. These are what I like to call the large vision God-centered prayers. Our prayers often are small, which is, I want to say again, this is not against those prayers. This is saying as disciples, make sure you also have the, the big God-centered prayers that God will look after all the things. Yes, pray for your sore toes. Pray that you get a car park spot at Westfield. Nothing more important than that, I know. <laughs> pray that God will deal with that workmate that's driving you crazy. But also pray that God will be glorified in all the world. What would be the most wonderful thing for the Shire? Or ride? What is the thing that you long for? Get rid of all the horrible people? No, God. May your name be glorified. May you be honoured. People know you as Father. Work in the hearts that you would change them. They're the big prayers that he wants for those who are going to be his disciples. And this is the prayer that we need to have. This large, all God-centred, encompassing prayers. That's where he expects to go. We plead to God for the things of God that would be honoured among all the nations. And he would extend mighty and powerfully everywhere. So you need to start with those sorts of prayers. Who are you praying for? And your vision could be as large as the world. That's the whole thing about this. Why, why do we have missions in our church? Why do we pray? Who cares? Sorry. Is Slovenia still over here? There's Paul. Yeah. Do we still pray for Slovenia? Of course we do. Why? Why bother? Because God, we want God honoured there. And so we want God honoured everywhere. That's got to be on our hearts. That's not on our hearts as disciples. We haven't understood what it means to be a disciple at that point. So it's not praying these words in particular, obeying this theme. And we pray not for Slovenia, but pray for schools, streets, 
have this as a habit. You know when you're trained and you just see the countless houses and they're all anonymous and they're all just faceless people. Have in mind that you want God honoured amongst them. You have no connection with them. But a good big God themed prayer is that God be honoured amongst their lives. So pray about these things. Nothing's too small. That's why I say that. But learn to pray this way. Then he goes on to keep on praying, uh, teaching about prayer in 5 to 13. So he keeps on answering the question, teach us to pray. And verse 5, he says this, and he wants us to be gracious and generous because he's gracious and generous. Verse 5, then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, let me three loaves of bread. And a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, I love that word, <laughs> shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you'll find, knock on the door will be open to you for everyone who asks or receives the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks, the door will be open. Because of who God is, we are liberated to continuously ask, search and knock. Keep asking, keep searching, keep knocking. Now the friend at midnight is so reluctant, but he's worn down by the impertinent, consistent requesting to do it. Now the point here is that you can't wear God down. As is, this is one of those, uh, how much more? If that's the action of someone who, you know, unwilling, how much more should we have the capacity to keep on asking, requesting, knocking and seeking uh, from God himself? Because he's gracious and generous, our God, and he will listen and answer. I recall some, was it Dee talking about uh, God answering prayers? But uh, I have lots of things, but here's just a very simple one that had profound effect on me. In the 1980s, there was a prolonged war between Iran and Iraq. And I just, for reasons I don't even understand, heard it on the news, I got up the next morning, I prayed that God would do something about it. The very next day, they made an announcement of a major ceasefire. And all, you know, the whole thing. Did that have anything to do with my prayer? I'm... Uh, here I'm in Australia praying for God to do something in a war in Iran and Iraq. And it seems like immediately after I prayed the prayer, something happened. Is that? That's ridiculous, isn't it? No. no. <laughs> it's not, is it? It's not. Now, I'm not saying the only person to pray, but boy, it really confronted me. Really confronted me. And so the prayers keep asking, keep, don't stop, keep seeking, keep going, persevere in prayer, spare no time or trouble to keep praying and praying with intensity and boldness. And I know there are many of you who are praying continuously for family and friends. Your daughter, your mother your friends, 
And you keep going and saying, nothing's happening. Nothing's changing. And the answers keep asking, keep knocking. I say this to everyone. If you find your grandmother is praying for you, give up now. <laughs> Just give up. They will not stop. But God is generous and gracious. It longs to give us more than we ever could imagine. He never says, oh, not you again. You know, what parent? Will you stop nagging me? I've told God's not like that. He loves to hear your prayers. Keep asking. You might say, what's the use of asking God continually? Well, you just keep going. But then, of course, I've got to address the difficult bit. What's the difficult bit? Why the delay? Why can't it all be like I pray for one for the war in Iraq, the next day it happens? Why is it God just doesn't hear our prayer once and said, okay, well, I'm glad that you've asked for it. Guess what? Why the delay? Well, here's some thoughts. You can work through them, mate. Matt does make us humble. God is not just an ATM machine where we punch in the right you know, combination and we get an outcome, do we? God is God. God is, God is not in our beck and call. God's not our servant. And call on him and he demerits an answer every time. It's not about us, it's about God. That's this one picture to have in mind. Second, it's impossible. It is possible God knows the answer because we're neither fit nor ready for the answer. For God's mercy says, things need to be put in place far beyond your, your understanding. One of the things I've come to just increasingly uh, born in my heart and mind is the incredible universal kaleidoscope of God's actions, how God's weaving something together of a, a size and complexity far beyond my capacity and how my answer, prayer in this area interacts with all these other things is far beyond my understanding but God in his time is weaving something together which is going to take time. He's good and sometimes the complex interrelationships mean there's a delay. Thirdly, we learn the value of waiting patiently. Did you know one of the great definitions of faith is to wait patiently? How you do you show that you have faith? I wait with patience. How do you know you're praying with faith? I patiently wait. And fourthly, our prayers must align with the framework of the Lord's Prayer. Part of it. Now, that doesn't mean it's all the questions of the delay. But the reality is, sometimes you've got to keep asking. Keep knocking. Coming to God. Then we've got verses 11 to 13. This is for the dads. Listen carefully. Which of your fathers, if a son asks for a skateboard, gives him a skateboard? No, sorry. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? 
Right, ask for an egg will give him a scorpion. If you then, though, are evil, and how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, there's that phrase, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God will not give harmful gifts. God is not like that. We can feel completely secure in his love that he give us what is good always. Uh, as a human dad, I don't know of my capacity to understand what's always good is always there. But God's always there. Is always there. We're told to eat our Brussels sprouts because it's good for us. And I'm sure earthly parents try to do their good. They're able. But God's a perfect, eternal, infinite good. And God responds. He'll always give to us the good that we deserve and want, even if it's not right. And the example of that, in my mind, which is the most compelling, is a thorn in the flesh for the Apostle Paul. He pleaded three times for it to be removed. And God said, no, it's good that you have it. Because your grace, my grace is sufficient for your weakness. So he prayed, I, my life would be better if this was gone. And God said, no, it's good for you and for me that it stays. That's a hard thing to hear, isn't it? But God always give what is good. Trust him in that. He's not going to give you a scorpion when you ask for a fish. He will give you what is good, always. We neither have the wisdom or the grace to run the universe. Say, God, I think I need this, and I know better than you. Well, we struggle to run our own lives, so how do we think we can run the universe? God does. Sometimes I think our prayers have slight whiff, I know better than you, God. But here's the extraordinary thing, having said all that, and I won't have time to play this out, so just hear it and you can tease it out for yourself. God actually includes our prayers in the running of the universe. God includes our prayers by his sovereign capacity in the running of the universe. So we pray to God the Father... Pray to a father who's gracious and generous. Then I want to turn briefly to Luke 18, that second passage. Uh, again, the whole question of prayer is there. Uh, verse 1, uh, disciples show what they can always pray, not give up. In verses 7 and 8. And I will not, I will not God bring about your justice for chosen ones who cry out to him day and night. Will he keep on putting them off? I tell you, he will, not, uh, he will see that they... Get justice and quickly, when the Son of Man comes, will there be fine faith on the earth. Again, the parable here is about a how much more moment. The unjust judge is worn down by a widow who doesn't give up. Um, it's encouragement again for tenacious, hope-filled, ongoing trust in God that he'll pull into effect what we're asking for. We're trusting him he will do. So will he find faith again? Will we find people still patiently waiting for him to act? And despite the delay, divine vindication is coming. Divine justice is coming. Don't press the parable too far. 
It's not as if long, whiny prayers will eventually gain from God blessing. I sometimes have a, I lived in the States for uh, five years, pastoring a church. And some American Christians, I'll pick on Americans here, not anyone else in Australia, but sometimes I feel like they could wear God down by the length of their prayers. <laughs> you know? So God said, oh, they pray for so long, oh, I've got no choice. I've got to give them to them. God is not a bean counter. And I said, well, they pray for 95 words. If they got to 100 words, I would have got there, but sorry, they didn't get enough words. No, it's the what you say, not number of words. And the control of this section is the problem is not God is unwilling, but we are often faithless and lethargic and refuse to come to God in prayer. So some final reflections as we conclude. We prevail in prayer for the work of the Holy Spirit. How much more God will give to us his spirit? God is the Father. Jesus is our Son. And the Spirit is the best gift anyone can have. Of all the things that God can give to you, the greatest is he gives you a spirit so God and the Son live in your life and work in your life. There's more happening in prayer than we can ever imagine or ever understand. What God is most concerned about for me is not what I have, is my life is aligned and lived for Him. In language that the Bible doesn't quite use, it's my spiritual life. I can have all of the things given to me by God, but what God wants for me is a life lived in dependent trust upon Him as my Father, where I know His Word and live for it. Where I have an intimacy and trust in Him as my good Father who gives to me all good things. So the most precious thing in the world is God gives you his Holy Spirit to do all that. Second of all, don't grow cold. Keep your heart fixed on Christ and loving the world. Will we be the ones who last but keep on having trust in God's intervention? Don't become insensitive to God's name being honoured. Don't become cynical that the world will never change. Don't become dismissive of churches. Don't become like nothing will ever occur in people's lives. Keep on praying that God's rule will come over people, individuals, areas in the world. And don't become entangled in the world so that we become enamoured by the things of the world rather than things of God. I just said, God can give to us many great gifts. And, we, and it's interesting, in the days of Noah, what people got caught up and entangled in, remember? They were eating, drinking, marrying, and even being given in marriage. Just the ordinary, everyday activities of life. Dulled their senses. We were on the ones that keep our senses alert to the things of God. And the way to do that is keep on praying the very disciples' prayer that God would be honoured in all the universe. So be persistent. Keep on praying. Don't give up. Our Father is more generous and faithful and kind and good to us than we ever imagined. Faith is a furnace of our lives and we need to fuel that furnace by prayer. <coughs> Prayerlessness is such an easy little area we get to. The answer to that is simply pray. 
And I'm going to do that at the end by offering a prayer to God right now. Let's pray. Father, we long to see your name honoured more and more in our church, in Sydney and beyond. Cause your name to be hallowed amongst us. May we hold up your honour and worth above all. May Jesus take up his kingly rule more fully over our church, our lives and over this area. We long for the day when Jesus would return. We pray that would be soon. May we wait with prayerful patience. May you give to us all good things that we need for each day. Forgive us where we do fall short and keep us from all entanglements that would trip us up. Honour your name as we ask, Father, and we thank you we can call upon you as our Father through Jesus the Son. His name we pray. Amen. Amen.